Yeah, 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 yeah. The British are coming, baby. Well, happy 4th of July. I say the same thing every year because people ask me the same thing every year. Do you British people celebrate the 4th of July? Why would we do that? We lost. But uh, I'll mention a little bit more about this later. But uh, seriously, happy 4th of July to you. Um, our cafe of, uh, folks in our cafe have asked me to mention that the, the new edition of the Life with Lucas Daily Bible Reading Notes for July, August, and September, uh, they are now available. And so if you are using that, stop by and pick one up because they are selling fast. And if you are not using those Bible notes, let me just gently say that it's God's will that you do. <laughs> just kidding, but those are available. Why don't you why don't you try those? And if you're joining us online, a huge welcome to you as well. Delighted to have you with us. So as we turn to Mark's gospel again today, we come to an episode that I have never preached on before in my life. And before studying for this this week, I have never one time heard a sermon on this particular passage of Scripture. It appears in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, and for reasons that are going to become very obvious, it's really, really difficult, which is why preachers avoid it. And so I get to preach it on the 4th of July. That's called revenge. <laughs> the title for my message is, Who Let the Dogs Out? Or to put it another way, who exactly released the canines, or who let the dogs out? The answer, according to this passage of Scripture, is Jesus let the dogs out. And we'll see that as we dive in. Let's take a look, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from Mark chapter 7, but I'm also going to interject the reading with some comments which I hope will help us. Mark 7, 24, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. Now, that's Gentile, non-Jewish territory. It's about 20 miles north of Capernaum, where Jesus based his ministry after they kicked him out of his hometown of Nazareth. Today, you will find the ruins of this city in southern Lebanon. And Matthew, Matthew always gives us a bit more information than Mark. And so Matthew tells us that Jesus went there and also <clears throat> his disciples went along with him for that trip. Back to the reading. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Now, why does he not want anyone to know? Well, it would appear that he's going there with his disciples for a time of rest. Um, it's not a ministry trip. And why? Why couldn't he keep it a secret? Well, you go back in Mark to Mark chapter 3, and Jesus had been healing the sick and delivering people, and we read there that people from Tyre were part of the crowd. And so Jesus was famous in this area, and so he couldn't keep his presence a secret. And then Scripture says right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet, her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Now again, 
stop right there because Matthew gives us a bit more information. And he actually says that initially Jesus totally ignored the woman. He did not answer a word. And the disciples took that as a signal. They came to Jesus and they said, why don't, why don't you send her away? Because she keeps crying out after us. And then Mark tells us a bit more about her. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. Matthew adds another detail. He says that Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And here's where the problem starts. Because Jesus says to the woman, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. And here's where it gets weird again. Because he put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers... He touched the man's tongue. Now, I just need a volunteer right now. Just <laughs> Right, exactly. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ifafa, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so that he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. Jesus is amazing. He's surprising. And certainly at first glance here, he is sometimes shocking. How many know that it is generally not a good idea to call a lady a dog. Say amen. Hesitant, the amen there, for some reason. Uh, there are many things that I've learned over the years that a man should never say to a, a woman. I've shared that over the years. Never, gentlemen, let me help you. Never assume that a woman is pregnant. Never, never. Because if you say, when's the baby due, and there's no baby, there's no way out for you. It's over. Right there. Never do that. And then never try and guess the nature of relationships. Now, what do I mean by that? I visited a lady in the hospital one time, and she was in the bed, and there was a, another lady at the bedside visiting her. And I greeted them both, and I said to the visiting lady, I made an estimation, and I said, oh, you must be her mother. Don't do that. She said, I am her sister, and I will hate you for the rest of my life. 
Don't do that. There are some things you just don't say. And there are a few other social niceties that we should observe. Sticking your fingers in people's ears is not normally considered polite. Last night at the Welcome Center, a guy came up and he said, you need to talk to my brother. And I said, why is that? And he said, he keeps doing that licking your finger thing and sticking it in my ear. How many know what I'm talking about? Don't do that. Don't come up to the Welcome Center and do that to me. I'll set security onto you. <laughs> Sticking fingers in people's ears, that's not good. And it's generally not a good idea to spit. And it's certainly way out of line, not only to spit, but then take that saliva and ask someone to stick their tongue out so you can stick some spit on their tongue. That is not a way to win friends and influence people. So what on earth is going on here? Well, the answer is that Jesus, well, the initial answer is Jesus is amazing and surprising. And Mark really wants us to know that repeatedly. And we're only seven chapters into the Gospel of Mark. But there's a repeated theme that we should really notice because Mark wants us to know six times in seven chapters, Mark points to how Jesus is just so remarkable. Mark chapter 1, the people were so amazed. This amazed everyone. All the people were amazed. At this, they were completely astonished. They were completely amazed. And then again, in this story, they were completely amazed. Today, let's celebrate the truth that Jesus is amazing. Craig Barnes puts it like this. Astonishment is precisely what is missing in so many of us in the church today. We've completed all the Bible study workbooks and learned all the Christian answers to questions about every conceivable topic. But the bottom line is this. If we are not astonished by Jesus, then we are following something other than the person described in the Bible. I mean, before we go any further, here's a question for you, for me. Are we still astonished by Jesus? Or have we settled down with him. We kind of got him figured out. Our expectations are low. Are we still startled by his uniqueness? Is he still allowed to surprise us? And then secondly, this episode shows us that we need to handle scripture carefully. Because here's the thing. In the wrong hands, scripture can be made to endorse almost anything. And so this particular passage of Scripture could be weaponized. Weaponized to defend rudeness. Because Jesus initially ignored the woman and then apparently called her a dog. It could be justified or used, misused, to justify racism. She was a Gentile. It could be misused to justify sexism. She was a woman. It could be used to justify self-centeredness because initially he uh, ignored, it seems, her desperation and didn't initially respond. So, so we need to dig into this some more and do some work. If you're following in the bulletin, here's the first thing. Jesus is amazing, but his ways are not always easy to understand. His ways are not always easy to understand. Look at what he says here. And if we just take a glance at it, we should almost be offended. Because he says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. What a thing to say. 
So what's going on? Alexander McLaren, the Scottish preacher, said this is so startlingly unlike Jesus. But look closer. This is the only time in his ministry that Jesus apparently loses an argument. That doesn't just happen. It just doesn't happen. Secondly, it's the only time he says something that he doesn't actually believe. You say, what? Well, in Matthew's version, he has Jesus saying, I've only come for the Jews. But Jesus didn't believe that, and he didn't live that. Earlier in Mark, we saw Jesus going to the Gadarene demoniac, who was a Gentile. And so Jesus had already gone to the Gentiles. He is making a statement that he doesn't actually believe. You see, Mark is letting us know something, something's going on here. Don't, don't miss this. So now let's look at it from another camera angle. When Jesus makes that statement about dogs, he is saying something out loud that everyone in the room believes, including his disciples, that the Gentiles are dogs and that women are inferior. He is saying something, possibly even quoting a saying that was going around that day. So what's he doing here as he speaks this out? It's a teaching style called uh, reductio ad absurdum. The Latin is reduction to absurdity. What you do is you postulate an idea, and then you allow that idea to be interrogated or challenged to reveal the absurdity of the idea. I hope you're following. Now, Jesus is affirming that his mission is first to the Jewish people. The wild dogs, as they were called. The, the Greek word is kuon. The Jews use that word. But he softens this whole thing. He doesn't use that word. He uses the word kunarion, which is puppy. He immediately softens things. And then he uses some logic. He says, you wouldn't take a child's food and give it to a pet. Now imagine, you know, you come over to our house for dinner, and we, you bring your kids with you, and we, we, we bring the dinner out and put it in front of everybody. And, uh, you know, as is our custom in our house, Kay and I um, pray for 45 minutes over the food and sing 19 hymns. It's just what we do. Thanks for believing that. And, and, and then I say, oh, I'm so sorry, but, um, but Fido, the puppy's here. Uh, you know, your 10-year-old child, I'm sorry Jimmy can't eat tonight. Just give me his food, because Fido needs to eat. So Jesus is using a, a logical argument there, but then see, please see what happens. Because he puts the idea out there, and then he invites a foreign Gentile woman an outsider, he enables her to demolish the whole idea. And she does. And he says, good answer. She's got it right. What's going on? He's allowing a drama to take place in front of his disciples, who will be called to go out and preach the gospel to all nations, Jewish and Gentile. And also Mark, in his gospel, he's writing primarily and initially for the church in Rome, which is mostly made up of Gentiles who are wondering, what does Jesus think of us? When you look closer, 
you see that something very wonderful is going on. And then you turn to this guy who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And let's face it, initially it's weird. Because it says Jesus stuck his fingers in his ears. And by the way, the Greek word there means to thrust his fingers into his ears. And then he spits. Now we'll come back to that a little later. But we've got to see that something bigger is going on here. Because as we hear that the man is healed... A Greek word is used here that is only used one other time in the Bible, the Hebrew version of that word, back in Isaiah chapter 35, which speaks of Messiah coming, and it says, when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. You know what Mark is saying? Mark is saying in all this weirdness and in what Jesus did, Look at who this is. This is the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about. Now, before we move on, what do we learn from this? I, I want to make a statement that might be shocking and, or even offensive to some. The Bible doesn't explain everything. The Bible doesn't explain everything. The Bible does not begin with the words, everything you're about to read will make perfect sense. It begins with, in the beginning, God. And you say, if you disagree with that idea, just look at this passage. Mark doesn't explain what's going on at all. He just tells us what happens. Sometimes we need to be able to say, I don't know. And it's okay. Often, Christians who are going through suffering or bereavement tell me that other Christians try and help them by making statements of explanation that are ridiculous. If God hasn't revealed something, we shouldn't try and fill in the blank. It's okay to say, I don't know. If we don't understand, we need to ask for wisdom. We need to dig deeper. But we also need to know it's okay not to fully understand everything. Secondly, Jesus is amazing and surprising, and he interacts with our responses. Look at what he says to this woman. Good answer. Good answer, he says. Now look, this is not Jesus saying, excellent, you passed the test. I'm going to help you out. No, he's affirming the truth of what she said. She is right. And he's also, he's been provocative. He's set her up with an opportunity. The more I've reflected on this passage this week, the more I've come to discover that Jesus is like that. He's, he's kind of provocative. He'll say and do things in order to evoke a response because he wants response. On the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, two were walking along the road and Jesus appears right next to them. And he says, why are you sad? And they, they say this, they say, haven't you heard about what's been happening in Jerusalem over these days? And then Jesus says this, he says, what things? Uh, excuse me, we're talking the cross and the resurrection here, but Jesus gives the impression that he doesn't know. Why? Because he wants them to tell him what they know and what they feel. And it gets even better. 
because they get to the house where these two live. And here's what it says. Jesus pretended that he was going further. What? This speaks to me of the playfulness of Jesus, but also his teaching style. Why did he pretend that he was going to go further? Because he was wanting them to invite him for supper. He was waiting to be wanted. He's provocative. The woman at the well. He says to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you've had six. He's provoking a response. Our responses to God matter. I love the story of Isaiah. Remember the story of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is having a bit of a crisis. He says, woe is me, I'm unclean. He's feeling extremely naughty. Everybody say naughty. Everybody say naughty. I know, it's too close to the fourth. We can't just say it like that. He's having a crisis. God sends an angel with a coal from off the altar, burns his face, and then there's only God, the angels, and Isaiah in this scene, and God drops a cosmic hint. God says, who will go? (laughs) Who will I send? And Isaiah says, here my Lord, send me. You see, God's like that. He provokes a response and invites and calls for a response. Are we responding? That's one of the reasons we have times of response here at Timberline when the word is preached. That's why we're going to do that again today in a few minutes. He wants us to respond. Thirdly, Jesus is amazing and surprising, and he meets us where we are at. He meets us where we're at. Look at this. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Now, why did he do that? Well, the man is deaf. He cannot hear Jesus saying to him, I want to heal you. In those days, it was believed that saliva had healing properties. So when Jesus spits like this, gross though it may seem to us, he is actually creating a picture of healing. And then he sticks his fingers into the man's ears to let him know he's about to be healed of his deafness. It's kind of beautiful. Because he meets the man exactly where he is. And that is true today. No one needs to be somebody else or go somewhere else in order to meet with Jesus. He will meet you and me where we are. This morning, earlier this morning, I had a beautiful conversation with a young man who came to Timberline last week. And he decided to become a follower of Jesus. I met him out there. He got his Bible in his hand. He's excited and confused. It's exactly like it is when you first become a Christian. There are two men in our men's ministries who are getting alongside him and helping him. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Jesus has met that young man right where he is. Not to leave him there, but to take him to the future that Jesus has for him. Let's let, it, let him meet us now, today. Fourthly, 
Jesus is amazing and surprising, and he prays with direction, emotion, and brevity. Look at this. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephapha. That's a pretty brief prayer. I mean, Jesus cried out in prayer. We know that from Hebrews 5. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. He, he, uh, he knew how to pray. He knew how to wrestle in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this is a one-word prayer and a sigh. Have you ever been out for dinner with fellow Christians and they bring the food and there's that moment of crisis. Oh, is this a group we're going to pause and pray for the food or not? How many know that glorious tension that you feel? Have we got a pause? You are desperate to dig into the chicken, but you're looking around the table for a signal. Are we going to, is, is someone going to pray or something? And then you reach for your fork. And an icy glare meets you. You are a worthless sinner because you were about to consume unblessed chicken. And then, horrifyingly, someone says, I will pray. And what follows is 10 minutes of fervent intercession for the missionaries, for politicians, for globalization, for every conceivable possible issue except the food. And you are silently praying as well. Oh, God, keep this food warm, please. And, and, and please bring this prayer to an end. I mean, cut him short. Kill him if you need to. I am not, let me just repeat this. I am not suggesting there are not times when we need to wrestle in prayer. But on this occasion, Jesus prayed one word. And sometimes that's all we've got. Anyone heard, remember the prayer of Jabez? Remember the prayer of Jabez? Raise your hand if you remember that. I sold a gazillion books. I've got the prayer of Jeffrey. Would you like to hear it? The prayer of Jeffrey goes like this. Help! Amen. Now, there is a lengthier version for those deeper in the Lord. And what you do is you say the word, and then you go up an octave, and then return to where you were. So it goes like this. Help! 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 Amen. Sometimes that's all we've got. It is better, it is better to pray for five minutes than it is to believe that you have to pray for an hour, but because you're discouraged, not pray at all. On this occasion, Jesus just said one word. And I love what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to people in the crowd like the Pharisees who prayed three hours a day. Jesus said, don't Babylon. Don't Babylon. I love that. On this occasion, Jesus prays. Direction, emotion, brevity. All right, two other things before we conclude. Number five, Jesus is amazing and surprising, and he calls us to open up our lives, to open up our lives. If far, far, he says, which means be open. Now he's speaking to the man's ears. 
But I think maybe to some of us today, he's saying that, but he's not speaking to our ears. He's speaking to our hearts. Is it possible that some of us came in here today and, and I have a simple pictorial demonstration of what's going on in your heart? It's like this. It's clenched, closed. Or maybe because of what you've been going through, it's like this. And perhaps today, as has happened in every service, here's what's going to happen. This is going to go to this. That's going to happen as people decide to become followers of Jesus. In every service this weekend, people have made that step to go from this to this. It's been beautiful to watch. It might be that some of us as Christians it's not so much this, but it's maybe the challenges of life have caused us to close up some and we're going to open our hearts. We need to be open and we need to stay open. Look at this. Look at what happens in the crowd. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. That is incredible. Incredible. In Mark's gospel, Jesus commands storms, wind, waves, wine, bread, fish, demons, death. But he has a little more trouble with humans. And the more he told them not to talk about it, the more they did. Can I just pause and say, or ask, are we doing that with God? And maybe they did it because they thought they knew better. Or our hearts open to him. Well, the last thing is this. And that is that Jesus is amazing and surprising and he is utterly trustworthy. Look at what the people say. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. There's something here that we must not miss. Some translations put it like this. He has done all things well. But Mark wants us to see something. He is pointing us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where in creation it says there, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. You see, Mark is saying to us, the Jesus who went to Tyre that day is the same Jesus who was involved in the majestic, wonderful, stunning work of creation. Mark is wanting us to see the connection. He's the Lord of all creation. So tonight, tonight, cloud and Canadian smoke permitting, you and I can go outside and look at the brightest light in the sky right now, apart from the moon, which is Venus. It's only 45.7 million miles away. And you and I can say, he made that. And then we can look down and realize that there are 300,000 different species of beetles and weevils 
and know that he made those. He was having fun that day, I think. You see, we need to do that because sometimes, sometimes the pressures of life shrink our faith. Does anyone remember that movie that was never going to get an Oscar back in the 80s? Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Anyone remember that? I think sometimes life shrinks. It doesn't shrink God, but it shrinks our vision and perception of God. When we were at Bike to Work Day this, this week, uh, we were handing out these. These are Timberline Church water bottles. Kind of nice, really. Uh, quite large. This can be yours for $499. We take Visa, American Express. Just kidding. We're handing these out. And at the end, we had some left over. And so the team said, Pastor Jeff, would you like a water bottle? And hydration is good. So I, I said, yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll have one. And I, I, I took my water bottle and I, I put it in my car. And I left it there for the day. And the sun was shining that day. And here's what it became. <laughs> Look at that. It was this. And the heat came. And it became this. And that's what's happened to some of our vision and perception of God. The heat has come. And we used to see him like this. But now, there's not much use that. May God, as we look up and look down, may God remind us again, Jesus is amazing, surprising, and incredibly powerful. And we lift up, we lift up his amazing name. And everybody said? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you because you are faithful. You're faithful to us. And we pray for those today who are surrounded by question marks, but they're still trusting you. And we thank you for them, for their their amazing trust. Would you strengthen them? When we don't understand what's going on, enable all of us to trust you, to respond to you in a way that pleases your heart. Thank you that you meet us where we are at. Thank you for that. We want to be those who open our lives and we want to stay open. The more you told them to be quiet, the more they talked. We don't want to be those people, Lord. We don't want to feel like we know better. We want to be obedient to you. I'm not finished praying, but can I ask you to look up for a moment? I just want to look around this room and look at you by faith, if you like, watching online. I know very well that some, some of you, some of us, are navigating a road, a pathway that is completely bewildering. And you're hemmed in by question marks and you're trying to figure out what's going on and two and two's making five, but look at you. 
you're trusting God anyway. I want to say to you, thank you. Thank you for the example that you're showing. And you don't want to be an example. You want to be out of this situation. I know that. But you're, you're the heroes. The heroes are not the Hollywood A-listers or the people on TV talk shows. It's ordinary people who are trusting God. That's who the heroes are. So thank you. And secondly, because we're all, you're looking this way, it might be that right now, for some of us, our hearts are like this. Either you're not a follower of Jesus, or you began that journey, but you've closed up because of the way life has gone. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. And this prayer will be specifically for those who want to become you want to become a Christian today. You want to open up everything in your life to Jesus and begin a life of following Him. And if you're a Christian, you know what? It won't matter if you even use elements of this prayer to say to God, help me to open up afresh. So here we are. What is it? It's 12.28 in the afternoon of the weekend before the 4th of July. And this can be the moment, a new beginning, when this becomes this. Let's bow our heads again. And here's the prayer, if you'd like to whisper it. Jesus, I come to you now by faith. I'm not just asking you to bless me. I'm opening up to you and saying to you, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to have you as Lord and King over all of my life. So I invite you now to come in, not just to bless me, but to take charge of everything. Forgive me for what's been wrong. Thank you for your cross and for your resurrection. And now in this moment, I make a choice. I am responding to you. I choose to follow you. Now, enable me. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for hearing me. Let's just keep our heads bowed for a moment. And as a way of declaring our response, I want to ask you to do something really simple. If you've just used that prayer... You just whispered that to him. Can I ask you, please, just as I'm looking around, just lift up your hand for a moment. Hold up your hand and then just wave it. Wave it at me. Thank you. Around the room. Around the room. People responding. That is so beautiful. Would you reveal yourself? to each one they're opening up Lord you see that and we celebrate that in Jesus name Amen at the end of our service our prayer team will be here we've got resources we want to give you 
And this has been the lowest attended service over the weekend, but this has been the service where more people than any other service have given their lives to Jesus. I think we should celebrate that, don't you? And give thanks to God. So, let's declare his name. Let's worship him. I invite you to stand with me if you're able, and let's proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, before you go, uh, two other things to say. Uh, first of all, again, thank you for your giving. And those of you that like to give physically, putting something in that box, that's, that's there on the way out. And uh, then before you go, I, I just want to make one final comment about the 4th of July. Because I, I laugh about it every year. 
Um, but I want to say something a lot more serious, because uh, um, my wife, Kay, and I, we've, we've lived here in America for decades now, and um, I, I just want to say that I'm grateful to live in a country where we are free to worship Jesus. I love this place. Uh, I'm not a citizen yet. We applied before COVID, or we started to apply, and that got messed up. So uh, we're still resident aliens right now, Nanu, Nanu. So. <laughs> but the other thing I just want to say is that in all the years that we've lived here, we have discovered that Americans are irrationally kind to British people. You show us such kindness and graciousness. And so I'm, I'm glad. I got an email this morning from Pastor John Dubler, who used to pastor together with his wife Mary in this community. And he was here last night, and he said, he said, I think the UK and America, we're like, we're like brothers who love each other. We had a fight, and America won, but we're still brothers. And there is this connection between us, brothers and sisters, let's face it. So I just want to say thank you. I wish you, why am I getting emotional? I wish you a beautiful 4th of July. And as I've been wandering around the building this weekend, I've been saying, happy 4th. And then people will go, oh, happy 4th to you. And then they go, oh, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> We're going to have a happy 4th as well. God bless you. Don't burn the meat on the barbecue. You are greatly loved. Have a great weekend.